Hello and welcome to Something Rotten. It's the question episode on The Last of Us Part 2. My name is Jacob Geller and I am joined by Blake Hester and only Blake Hester uh, because it's just us boys here answering your questions. Jacob, let's, let's keep it real. Let's keep it 300 with our audience. What is your annoyance level right now? Look, you know, we've had some tech issues. <laughs> Here's my higher annoyance level. Uh, I could be playing... Resident Evil 4, colon, separate ways. Shut the fuck Right up. now. Shut and I have been playing up. it. I was playing it just before this call started. I don't want to hear this shit because I can't play it till next week. I have it installed and I can't touch I it. I am playing with uh, Ada Wong, the woman of the world. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't be That's saying right. shit like that about my uh, wife. Don't be saying you're playing with my wife. I got, I got her grappling hook. I got her uh, little spinny kick. You are out of pocket right now, Jacob Glenn Geller. Stop this. <laughs> is it good? Is it good? Yes, no. Yes. Big Fuck thumbs yeah, up. Dude. Turns out Resident Evil 4, a good game that I like to Fuck play. yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, that's great. Please don't say anything more about it because I'm very upset that I cannot play it. Blake's fuming right now. I'm fuming. Uh, Blake, we are about to start and you got a call from your vet, I think. Uh-huh. Well, okay, so I I probably would not have answered that if I knew it was the vet. I would have let it go to voicemail because it was not a super important call. They were just checking on my dog, which I do appreciate. I'm going to miss this vet when I move uh, in two days. But uh, I thought it was my doctor, and I'm waiting on some uh, test results, which, depending on the uh, results of which, could spell disaster in my future. So that's why I uh, hastily answered the phone, and will do so on this episode if I get another call. I like the idea that your phone just said doctor, and your thumb was covering up the part that said like Reagan, and so you didn't know. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a number I didn't have saved. It was just like a Minnesota number, so I assumed it was like my doctor. I didn't expect the vet to call and check in on Reagan, but that was a very kind thing of them it's to nice do. Nice to so. do. Reagan had a dental appointment, so she was a little wonky for a couple days. Does uh, she have to get braces? Well, do you ever, have you ever, like, um, have you ever taken Tori to get the full, like, oral exam where they clean the teeth, but they also check all her teeth and whatnot? They have to, like, put them under for that. No, here's a, a crazy thing about Tori is every time she goes to the vet, they're like, oh my gosh, her teeth are so clean. And I'm like, I don't do anything. So Tori just has yeah, miraculously clean teeth. They said they did have to pull one of Reagan's teeth. Teeth problems are a pretty common issue in Chihuahuas. But they said overall her teeth were great, which is awesome because I've known other small dogs that people have had that uh, just lose teeth in quick succession. So only one tooth seems pretty good right now. I once had a friend who had a cat. Uh, and the cat was allergic to its own teeth. What the fuck? Cats are so fucking stupid, dude. Dog supremacy to the day I die. Uh, did I tell you? I think I told you. Uh, Tori had a little adventure the other day where she got bit by a copperhead. Yeah. Oh, which, yes, because you didn't know that was a snake. No, I didn't. I did see the picture, though, and it was horrendous. Yeah, Tori, her, she, she got Dick Cheney neck. For like two days, <laughs> she had her the underside of her neck just blew up and then became like real floppy and wiggly. Uh, oh my god, dude! But now That's she crazy. has it, it. Now it looks like she just has like black rock like embedded in the underside of her neck because it's like it's scabbed Ew. black. Uh, it's crazy Ew. looking, but she's fine. She's Ew. all good. Shouts out, Tori, friend of the show. Anyway, Blake, 
You want to answer some questions? I want to answer some questions. All right. Uh, let's take this question from Adam West. They say... Wait, what? Yeah, Batman. <laughs> Hell yeah. I didn't know he was still alive. Thank you for listening to our show, Batman. Uh, I've had a question about if you think there are rotten sci-fi or fantasy games. All of your seasons talk about a game that takes place in a quote-unquote modern time setting, even if they have fantasy elements. Even The Last of Us that takes place during the apocalypse seems really tied to the time right before the apocalypse. Thanks for your time. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Jacob, I put this in here for you to answer because I am frankly not a big sci-fi or fantasy person and I don't know if you are but I thought you might have some more interesting perspective on this than I would so I'm gonna sit this question out uh yeah I mean first of all I'm a I'm a big sci-fi person I'm like a medium fantasy person you know as a as a child I was really into like Lord of the Rings and things with dragons and stuff but uh there there are 1000 percent rotten sci-fi things like you know things that are more along the continuum of sci-fi a game that i would never make us play uh but is uh, a million percent rotten is uh is i have no mouth and i must scream the point and click adventure game sure uh in that game you play as like a nazi doctor uh among other things uh there are i mean i think something that we might do uh, something like Soma, uh, you know, which which I totally think falls along the line of of rotten. You know, there's a whole there is a whole kind of like uh, even even like alien, you know, not not mm-hmm. aliens, but alien, I think totally uh, can can be put along that. And like alien three fucking the, the like David Fincher alien <laughs> yeah, is like yeah. the most rotten uh, sci fi movie. Uh, really, re- really quick is Soma. Is that bl- is that the Bloober team one? No, that's uh Soma's Frictional Games. That's that's after oh. Amnesia. Um, Bloober okay. made Observer, which is also right. a uh, a pretty rotten game, actually. So yeah, okay. there are there are tons of them. I think um, it's an interesting question to think about, like why we've done mostly um, uh, mostly modern you know kind of contemporary games versus sci-fi because i actually think there are so many examples um and in part i think it's probably due to your taste blake that you are just not as sci-fi i i hadn't really even thought of this until adam's question so like it hadn't even i mean and and they're right i think i mean like killer seven i feel like kind of pushes the pushes the definition the most out of anything we've played weirdly enough but, like, I hadn't even thought of this. It wasn't, like, a conscious decision. And now I need to kind of, like, go through the list and see, are they all like that? It might be worth considering for later seasons. Be like, oh, shit, should we add, like, should we find, like, a fantasy game to play or something? Yeah. You know, do we need to play World of Warcraft for a season? I'm saying, Jacob, we have to. Yeah, a, a super rotten game. Um, no, but I do think, uh, you know, like, another another uh, pretty obvious example is uh, Signalis. Uh, which recently came out sure. is like fully yeah. rotten. Uh, so there are definitely there, and also it's like the darkness is kind of a fantasy game. You know, it's like there's there's magic. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, but I I do think it's you know I think certainly our original definition of rotten was a lot about like how violence is done to people, and that is maybe that's more present in just the kind of games where you shoot people sure. with guns not a game but i will say a very quick rotten sci-fi thing that popped into my head 
Paul W.S. Anderson's Event Horizon. You ever seen that? Oh, yeah, Samuel? yeah, yeah. The, um... It's, mm-hmm. it's the one Paul W.S. Anderson movie everyone loves, and yet I, a massive Paul W.S. Anderson fan, hate that movie. I think it sucks so much. I'm not a fan at all. Um, well, but uh, and, it's rotten. And uh, a, a huge, like, the uh, inspiration for Dead Space, basically. And so it's like, well, then Dead Space is maybe a rotten game. No, it's kind of dead space is almost too polished like i love that game sure but it's uh you know but the uh, short answer yes there are plenty of rotten sci-fi games and and certainly some fantasy ones though i'd have to kind of think harder about that yeah Um, dead space a uh series i've tried as i'm sure you know numerous times to get into and just never can you ever play never lands form yeah remember i wrote that piece about the horror of Dead Space 2 a few years ago? Yeah, but we did you... about it a lot. Did you get into it? I got really into the Ishimura section of that game. Dead Space is like horror. is very exhausting to me in a way that like kind of turns me off of the games. Like I, when I played the remake, I just, I never finished it. Yeah, I guess it's almost, it is similar to Resident Evil 4 for me in that it's just like, I just find it mechanically satisfying and I'm not yeah. like... I've played it enough that I'm never scared by it, and so right. the jump scares don't even, like, register. Uh, but it is, like, a kind of annoying form of just, like, ah! <laughs> there, yeah, it's, it's, there are games, I mean, one and two, like, I've never played three, but it, it feels like they're constantly screaming at you. Yeah. And that it's, like, very exhausting to me. Um, but, like, they rock. It's, it's, it's more of a me problem than a Dead Space problem. Yeah. Anyway, you want to move on? Yes. Uh, all right. I'll read this question from Emerson. Uh, it's barely even an observation to point out that we're telling a lot of stories about the apocalypse these days, some much more interesting than others. There's a lot I find fascinating in there, and general musings on that are certainly welcome, but more specifically, I'm interested in the things that people imagine surviving and why they chose those things. As a trans girl in scary times, I've been finding comfort lately in the knowledge that queer people have been around since the first generation of humans and will be here until the last. Of course, we'll still be there after the collapse of the world as we know it, but it's interesting to me that the creators of this game apparently most in, mostly interested in the conflicts arising out of new groups, still chose to import a pretty modern flavor of bigotry. I'm sure you've both heard the phrase about finding it easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. In good ways or bad, what things did you find striking that the developers couldn't imagine the world without? Pearl Jam. That's right. <laughs> of all fucking bands, Pearl Jam. No, I mean, we talked a lot about the... Um, the specific selectiveness of bigotry in this game in a way like the more i've thought about it and and it feels like such a weird thing to be like this game needs racism (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know what i'm saying i think this game kind of needs racism in it if it or remove bigotry entirely i think the more i think the more i've thought about that because we talked about it so much on the season like the more it's kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it makes the like acknowledgement of bigotry kind of feels shallow to not like acknowledge all forms does that make sense yeah and i think also our problem is that like the game is uh doing racism still in a number of ways it's just not acknowledging it you know whereas it it does acknowledge that there is still like homophobia and other things going around and so i i think it's i think it's pretty clumsy i think you know what I have been thinking about since since our original conversations is just the um, the way that 
they almost refuse to let the post-apocalypse have a culture that is not just people thinking about right. the pre-apocalypse. You know, it's like right. Pearl Jam kind of makes sense for Joel, a guy who was like alive before uh you know that he would be like holding on to this because joel you know joel's essentially a boomer in the uh in the last of us world but yeah for for ellie to not have any songs she likes other than uh just the songs that are like were popular before the world ended and for no one to have any interest in art that was like not made uh after the apocalypse it's very weird that i i feel like the last of us cannot imagine a world without just overpowering nostalgia which is uh one of the more annoying things i find about our culture and it's like I guess yes. it makes sense that people would, you know, be be nostalgic for the pre-apocalypse, but like it is it is so weird that it seems to have overpowered any sense of anything that would have been made afterwards. I think another thing that I found really weird this time playing through The Last of Us Part 2 is the insistence on every character to want to leave their community, Yeah, you know? And like the safety of that community, like and we talked about this in the Cameron episode, like, you do have to decouple it a lot from, like, in Abby's case, it's like, you know, she's living under Isaac, who is, like, this violent, psychopathic fascist. But it's like, why is she, does she want to leave the Seattle Seahawks stadium? Why do Ellie and Dina not want to live in Jackson? Why is everyone trying to, like, leave the comfort of community that they've ever known? And the game is, like, specifically centered on, like, moving away in a very strange way i don't fully understand well but i also think the game thinks it's bad that they're doing that like the game being you think so? yeah i think the game is like all of this would have been great if ellie and dina stayed in jackson like i you oh, know it is interesting it is like you know abby abby needed to leave because uh she was you know working with a bunch of fascists essentially sure, but sure, like sure, sure. you know i i don't think i think one of the failures of the game is that uh, Jackson is the only good place in the entire world, as we talked That's about fair. a couple yeah, of times. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, obviously it's dumb for Ellie and Dina to live leave there because like it's the only good place we ever see. Um, uh, you know, I I think yeah, I I think basically the story is about people being uh separated from their families and kind of building building new families or failing to do so. But but it is certainly you know it is. It is a story where no one stays in the place that they were uh, comfortable. There's there's a strain of that weird, like, cities or war zones oh, yeah. going through this game where everyone's like, the city's too dangerous, we gotta get away. And it's like, I don't know, the scariest thing I could imagine is living in a farmhouse in this world. Yeah, but it's really it's like, pretty. It's really pretty there. <laughs> it's really pretty. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'm gonna read the next question. Yeah. This comes from Alex, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, how old are Abby and Ellie? I looked it up, but I thought it would make a good discussion. Do you think their ages contextualize their actions at all? Do they seem to act their age? How old do you think they are or appear to be, mainly regarding the violence they commit and the links they go to commit that violence? Several times while playing this game, I had to remind myself that Ellie is like 19. And I kind of, I'm of two uh, trains of thought here. On the one hand, I was always like, damn, that's crazy. Maybe that explains her actions. On the other hand, I'm like, I wish I would have really thought deeper about that. I don't know that the game is necessarily doing anything interesting with the fact that Ellie specifically is like a child still. But it is fun to think about 
whether or not that is influencing her reactions to things. Yeah. Um, Abby, I'm not sure how old Abby is. My my guess for Abby is like 24. Let me see. Early 20s. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I think she reads as a little older than Ellie, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting to think about, and it's interesting to, um, basically to think about if the, if, you know, if the writers, uh, put a lot yeah. of stake in this, because I do think there are, there are scenes where Ellie, you know, acts kind of impulsively or, you know, kind of is, is seeming to, um, you know, she wants to front as, like, tougher than she is, which feels yeah. like, a you know, a 19-year-old thing to do. But also, it's like, there are very few actions she takes in the story that I think Joel would not have taken. Right. You know, and so the question is, like, well, I, it, does Joel act like a 19-year-old, or is this world <laughs> just so coded as, like everyone can only see things through the lens right. of killing people that, like, that, that kind of that it breaks down. Yeah, I actually don't think, like... I think I really like this question, but I think it's more just like a fun thought experiment mm-hmm. than something like the game was written with in mind. Does that make sense? Was that, yeah. Is that a, you know, or, I, I think generally the game is kind of operating on like they're young adults and young adults. Mm-hmm. We give them kind of the the benefit of rationality. You know, I think it'll it'll right. honestly be interesting uh, in the show in in season two to be like, you know, Bella Ramsey looks pretty young uh you know and, and and even though there will be time between the seasons and i'm sure that they'll be able to do uh makeup to like age them up uh they're they're a pretty young looking actor in a way that i think video game people just kind of become like flat you know you don't really think yeah. about their ages uh and i am i am so curious who they cast as abby uh you know because i think that will be uh <laughs> An impactful choice, no matter what. I do think, um, I don't think Abby is the most emotionally mature character in the world, but I do think it's interesting to compare and contrast her against Ellie and see the way she is, uh, a little more mature. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's a, uh, violent psychopath the way Ellie is, but less sporadic in a lot of the yeah. game, it seems, which is kind of fascinating. And I do wonder if that, like, her age was taken into consideration there, or they just needed a character that wasn't as uh, fucking gnarly as Ellie. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wouldn't have worked to have her younger than Ellie. Oh, you know, sure, so sure, sure. I, I, it's a, I'm sure they thought about it a little. On the other hand, though, Lev, definitely younger than Ellie. And For sure. definitely Abby, and the most emotionally mature person in the entire fucking game, other than, like, maybe Yara. In the franchise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so, oh, fun question. Uh, let's see. I'll read the second one, too. This comes from Patty. The biggest feeling I keep coming back to when thinking of The Last of Us Part Two, a game that I do love, is that it doesn't want to be a video game. It doesn't respect that medium sense. It keeps playing tug-of-war with its mechanics and narrative. When it's talked about by its creators, it's barely compared to other AAA or indie, and was constantly trying to adapt into a higher form of art until it eventually did. It's a complicated idea because if I say Neil Druckmann didn't think it should be a video game, then I don't think he would be working in video games. I just can't escape this feeling of The Last of Us Part Two trying to ascend above video games as an art form, while not bringing anything as interesting to the table as his contemporaries in the indie scene who don't have the same money and resources. I asked the Rotten crew, 
the rotten crew okay hey, like that's that. us team rot do you think the last of us respects the medium of video games or itself as a video game i this is this is always a kind of the question with these big triple a mm-hmm. games it is kind of like are they trying to be movies and certainly yes. uh you know certainly that has been the feeling with naughty dog since uncharted is yes. does it does it wish that this could be a movie you know to i think to naughty dog's credit they make their their movie sections are a lot more playable you know sure. like thinking about uncharted set pieces it's like you're still doing stuff while that happens uh more than uh you know more more than some other games that you could level this uh, accusation at um but i do think <laughs> I do think there is that feeling of, like, video games are not good enough to tell this story. We are going to elevate it to something like a film, which can handle yep. more uh, more emotionally mature stories. So, I, we, we talked about this a bit on an episode, but I think more so than The Last of Us Part 1, which the HBO show has proved uh, works just as fine, if not better in some respects, as a show. I think The Last of Us Part 2, like, earns its need to be a video game more than that one does i do think in general like to this question the issue with triple a games in general is there i think a lot of creators see their grandest aspirations as being equivalent to film you know what i'm saying um and i think a lot about like um the suda quote that we brought up in the season where he was like someone asked him hey, was this game inspired by Kill Bill? And he was like, I don't hold games in such contempt that I would blindly mimic film, Mm -hmm. which is like, I I think he makes games that only work as games. It's like, what the fuck is a Killer7 movie? It sucks. It's boring, right? Like, as a game, though, it's very interesting. Um, I don't want to just, like, compare, like, Western games versus Eastern games because I think that's, like, a dull conversation. Well, here's here's an Eastern uh, comparison is, like, I think Hideo Kojima makes really interesting games absolutely yep. a dude who seems like he wishes he was making movies even though i think mechanically his sure. games are super interesting and could only be games but i also think like in the moments in kojima's games where like um they are most wanting to be a movie the cutscene, he understands the medium of video games so well that he creates things that would be impossible shots in movies right like he like I think about some of the single takes in um Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah. Um specifically the one with like Skullface and I think Sehelanthropus, where they're just insane single shot camera pans where it's like you couldn't do it would be the most expensive movie ever made. And I think like he understands the medium better even when he's trying to like mimic film and like make solid use of being a video game. It's interesting you say that because, uh, Blake, you're not someone who sees... Uh, for You are way more knowledgeable about film than I am, but I think I see more blockbuster trash than you do. And it's sure. like, recently, most big CGI uh, action movies do exactly that kind of fake camera shit that, sure. you know, okay. it's like, like, they all have, like, digital cameras that they're moving around in impossible ways and stuff. And so it's almost like, you know, the... the uh, it's eating itself, you know, like they are copying. I've seen many games, you know, both or many movies, both good and bad that are like very directly imitating games. You know, John wick four has that whole scene that I I think is specifically uh, inspired by the Hong Kong massacre, but like basically Mm -hmm. looks like hotline Miami. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I, I do think, you know, to, to the last of us part two's credit, 
I think that, like, um, I often, you know, I feel AAAs are so boring compared to, to what's in the indie space. I think mechanically that's, like, probably still true with uh with the last of us part two but like you know it's it's certainly a more interesting triple a than uh most other triple a's coming out even if i you know i'm not sure if that means i'm actually super positive on it or not it's just like the places that it is most interesting are things that could be done in film or whatever because it's like the you know it's it's narrative uh swings are are you know where i find the most to grab onto on the in the camp of the last of us part two coming to its defense mm-hmm. it is a game i don't want to watch though i know i know annie had a great experience watching it but like it is a story i would much rather interact with than watch passively well i mean so. and in in our uh in our bonus episode which you can you can hear me and annie talking about last of us part two on nebula um uh she says like even though she was watching me play she was like i still think it's better as a game than the experience sure. of watching the show like she still was like even though i was not interacting with it the idea of interactivity made it more compelling than just like the hbo version right. also nebula listeners you can hear that next week uh normal feed listeners you can't hear that unless you sign up for nebula boop, boop. uh jd says first time writer here congratulations first time writing uh so when i saw that you were doing the last of us i was hesitant to listen mostly because of the seething anger i felt over the second game i found it especially difficult to disengage from the hostility i felt towards the character of abby as to why i felt this hostility well i felt anyways that she was never forced to confront the lies that she believed uh that her father was a good man and that the fireflies were justified in their actions I could talk at length about the subject, but more to my point, have you ever been presented with a piece of media that so affected you that you found you had to abandon it or couldn't effectively talk about it due to the emotional intensity you felt towards it? If so, what media and why? So reading this question unlocked a memory in my brain. Yeah. When The Last of Us Part Two came out, I wrote my piece for Unwinnable, and then I basically, other than uh, Kenneth Shepard, did not talk to like anyone about it for like months. I was just like, that's my thing. That's my experience. As you know, I'm a big fan of The Last of Us. I like the character so much. I played this game, had a great attachment to it, and uh, saw the way the discourse was going. I was like, I'm going to write my piece, and then I'm going to just back away from this whole thing. And that was that. So, yes, this game. <laughs> but it but it wasn't that you felt anger towards, like, the game. It was, like, the conversation. Oh, sure. I... Okay, okay. I, I, I get maybe I misunderstood the question. I um, I think here's here's what I thought of while um reading this question is a very silly comparison to uh The Last of Us. But um I was watching the movie uh The Mitchells versus the Machines the other day, which is an animated movie as kind of kind of like a oh the Spider-Verse crew made a different animated movie was kind of how I heard talk okay. about it. But it reminded me of this uh this kind of version of story that I find in a lot of things, which is like uh parents and children butting heads, you know, where it's where it's just kind of like Oh, it's a coming of age story where like the kid wants something and the parent wants something else for them and eventually they have to meet in the middle. And almost always in these stories, I find it uh you know, going back to our discussion on age, it's like the kid is like 17 and kind of annoying and the parent is like comically abusive and then the story is like, "Oh, they both just need to understand each other." 
And it's like, I, I find it so hard to ever get on board with those stories because I'm like, the parent yeah. should be, like, the kid doesn't need to change that much. They're 17. You know, the parent mm -hmm. who is, like, an established adult really needs to get over their shit way more. Um, yeah. and, and I always find those, you know, even though it's like, Mitchells versus the Machines has, like, some, you know, otherwise enjoyable. I was, like, so angry at that, uh, just that plot point. And I've experienced it in, in kind of other versions of that same story that it's like i can't get past it because i just feel like uh you know like jd uh one character is just so obviously wrong uh more than the other one like the this american life story you and i talked about recently where the the reporter's mom didn't want her to drink remember that oh yeah 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 and i was like what anyway we don't need to get into it um i don't think okay i don't think i have anything specific to this but it did remind me do you remember when aj Went and saw Bo is Afraid and hated it so much he refused to talk about it, which was, like, the most uncharacteristic AJ <laughs> yeah. thing of all time. Like, I saw the movie, and I was, like, not trying to, like, fight with him on it, but I was like, man, I'm really curious what you didn't like. And he was just like, I don't even want to talk about that movie, and we've never talked about it. And I was like, all right, weird, weird thing. But I specifically... <laughs> well, you're about to live together, so now you can, like, torture him into telling you about it. I'm going to confront him, because I think that movie's fine. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything specific about this. I mean, there are games, like, I don't want to talk about, because I'm so fucking exhausted. Like, God of War 2018, I hate when those discussions come up, but it's not like a... Okay, but here's the thing. We talk about that game all the time. <laughs> yeah, but that's a safe space where I don't have to hear it be like, it was groundbreaking. I definitely have I, I i have definitely experienced i can't think of a game right now but it's like if i really don't like a game mm -hmm. i just like i just don't even want to hear anyone say anything positive about yeah. it and it's like mm -hmm. you know <coughs> excuse me you can't edit that one out <laughs> uh i i i try to uh i i try to be normal about it it's like i know that's not a healthy impulse and so i'm just like mm -hmm. okay well i'm going to detach from that game's conversation uh anyway robert says i don't ever do this but i wanted to email you guys and say that i think your podcast is rad and have been enjoying listening to it for a bit now this season in particular has been really well done and all your guests have been great thank you Whew. uh prior to this series your podcast actually inspired me to play the last of us part two a couple months ago so that uh, so that way i could analyze my feelings about it as a whole in episode two for the last of us part two series i thought blake's comparisons of the decisions that ellie made through the game to his own personal experience with addiction were really well stated and helped direct me to his full article about it Honestly, I wish I had read it much earlier than this because the game, uh, because this game has had me in a chokehold for a while, and I think this analysis is really insightful and well written on some aspects of the story, uh, and well written on some of the aspects of the story I think are the most interesting. I was originally going to ask a question or put some of my own read of the game in here, but I think I'll just settle on saying that I really enjoy your podcast and can't wait to hear more from this series in particular. Thanks, Robert. No question. Just putting a compliment in there. Jacob doesn't read our emails, so he never sees all the nice compliments that people write in without questions. They're just like, your show's cool. So I just thought I'd include one, Jacob, so you know, people like this show. That, that rules. Okay, I'll read this one. You both mentioned that you, th uh, this comes from Mitchell. You both mentioned that you think it's weird that after things have somewhat settled, the people seemingly don't, the people don't create anything. Specifically that everything in Fallout seems to be made out of something that was created before the end of the world. You think that touches in The Last of Us 2, like Ellie's songwriting in her journal, or Joel apparently picking up woodworking alleviate that weirdness or does it just put even more of a spotlight on the fact that apparently no one in jackson is into making their own comics when ellie keeps talking about how much she wishes there were 
more comics. I think it makes it more weird that there is no culture in this world. Yeah, you know, we don't need to restate ourselves, but I do think it's it's good that uh, Mitchell, who's uh, not the Mitchell versus the Machines, as far as I know, um, <laughs> right. uh, that that like Ellie does write songs and poetry and joel woodworks but but seemingly like none of that influences anyone else you know it's like they all just keep it secret to themselves like you know no one no one is ever like oh joel you know what beautiful woodworking it inspired me to do this uh because and maybe that's just with those two people because they're both so bad at expressing their emotions <laughs> I, the more i think about it the more i get hung up on this but, like, it's so weird to me that there are no traveling theater groups in the world of The Last of Us. Yeah. It's like, I understand why they're not making movies and television. But, like, really? No one goes and does live theater? Like, it's very strange to me. Yeah, um, there, there absolutely uh, would be. Uh, exactly. Think, you know? They exactly. Would be, they'd be fucking doing, like, Greek choruses and shit. Um, okay, so none of the... the I'll read the next two because they're not questions. Um, and they're pretty short. This comes from Jack. I work at EB Games, Australian GameStop, shouts out to the mothership, and working during the la- uh, the mothership for me being GameStop, not Australia, <laughs> and working during the Last of Us Part 2 launch window was hell. People would buy the game and return it a few hours later because Joel died. Me and my coworkers copped legit abuse because people were so outraged about this. I had people yell at me to take it off the shelf because they heard there were trans characters and lesbians in the game. Great community, 10 out of 10. Uh, I included that because it was one of the wilder things I think I've ever heard about working in video game retail. So there you go. That's wild. I'm I, very sorry. This you reminded me. This there was a period where like my local mall had both an EB Games and a GameStop in it. And yeah, I was yeah. like, what's this about? Why aren't they owned by the same company? No one knows. <laughs> no one knows. Um, okay, this comes from Bill. On Blake's recommendation, I read In the Miso Soup, and I wanted to ask. What the fuck, man? In all seriousness, it got so under my skin that hard had a hard time putting it down. So thanks for the wreck. Would be fascinating to hear a book club episode on it. Wanted to include this, Jacob, to remind us we should do that book club episode. Yeah, I'm down. I packed it. I packed it up in a box the other day. Saw saw how short it was. I was like, man, this is an easy weekend read. We can blast through. All right. Uh, okay. Vega writes in says. In an earlier season, Blake oh so daringly announced a take that feels especially relevant to The Last of Us, that high-budget mainstream games have overall worse writing than their counterparts in mediums like film, television, and literature, and that our standards for a quote-unquote good game story are ridiculously low compared to other mediums. I think this is an incredibly interesting stance, and I think about that a lot. Uh, Don't cease and desist me, Jacob. And I keep waffling back and forth on whether or not I fully agree. Generally, I land on the side of, yeah, mainstream games writing is generally mediocre at best, which is, as I'm sure Blake agrees, uh, an interesting realization to have as someone who tends to connect more deeply with games than other forms of fiction, and a complicated belief to hold simultaneously with the belief that interactive storytelling has the theoretical potential to be so wonderfully experimental and emergent and grand and personal. And now, the thing that I've been thinking about a whole goddamn lot is, why? Not why would someone prefer one medium over another, but literally, why does the writing in expensive slash mainstream games tend to suck? You know, that, of all the things I've said on the internet, I think that is the one that has haunted me the most over the last three and a half years. Um, it's interesting revisiting that statement because it comes up a lot. And I have played a lot of very, uh, just like excellent story-driven games since then. One we will be talking about next season, which I think has like, 
um, simultaneously given me hope for the future of storytelling in games and also sin- uh, increased cynicism that the last 20 years have uh, not just birthed, uh, you know, three dozen games as good as it. Yeah. Uh, though I think it's like increased influence, you know, is still a positive thing. It's also before I played The Unfinished Swan, which is a game that I think is just like amazingly written and like does a lot with like its mechanics to tell that story. Uh, I played that like last year or something, and I was like, "What That's the fuck?" Interesting. Do you God, like? I love... Do you like Unfinished Swan more than Edith Finch? Uh, it's hard to say because I played Edith Finch like when it came out, and I really don't remember a lot of the specifics of it, other than when that dude chops his own head off, which is such a good moment. But um, hold on, yeah, I don't. Wait a minute. What? What does that happen in Edith Finch? In the fish cannery. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, I was like, Jesus, yeah, that that I absolutely remember. does happen. Yeah, and the horror comic, I just don't remember the specifics of it, but like, uh, unfinished Swan because I played it relatively recently. I mean, it's just like such an amazing game. I l- fucking love that game. Anyway, um, I don't know. Like, what do you think about this? Because when we first talked about this, it, I always got the sense you didn't agree with me, and I don't know if you've changed your stance or you still don't agree with me. Like, what do you think? Well, okay, so these are they're kind of two parts here i think there is a actually a pretty understandable answer to uh why does writing in mainstream games tend to suck which is that um games are not built around a story in the same way that any other medium is not you know always. like not always it, yes and and i think you know i honestly i think the um the most you know like an analog that you could make is that games are kind of like, uh, you know, they're like big set piece movies where it's like we just have to get to the point where like these two guys can fight in space or whatever. Because like the way that a game is made is I think people figure out, this varies obviously, but people figure out a general outline and then uh, kind of a lot of the work starts happening simultaneously. You know, where it's, like, level designers are doing their things and, like, combat designers are figuring out the combat and the, you know, enemy designers are making enemies and bosses and whatever. And often, uh, writing is kind of viewed as some of the most adaptable in that because it doesn't involve, like, literal asset creation, per se. And so, what will happen is that games... uh, make a bunch of levels and then the writers are told hey figure out how to connect these you know like like we at the end can you figure out the story that will take us from this place to this place and it's you know like (laughs) in uh good writing advice kill your darlings you know like even even if something's great if it doesn't fit with a larger hole you should cut it out uh that's way easier to do as like an individual writer on a novel than like a video game that has a finished level and it turns out that that level isn't working for the story. Yeah. I, I, and you know, I think, um, when I think about games that were clearly written with the story first and then the game around them, those tend to be games that like, I think really hold up as like amazing store stories. Like, um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what remains of Eve Finch unfinished Swan, um, that one of the games for next season. Um, I just had another one that popped to mind. Yakuza 0, which I think is, like, one of the best stories in games. I'm just kind of saying all the cliche Blake games at this point. Killer7, my god. Um, a game who, that as time goes on, I think has a... I, I think the story is better and better. Um, that, like, I, I'm bringing this up because it's, like, 
I maybe didn't have that train of thought back when I said this original statement, but I think like when you can tell a game is written with its story in mind first, and then a lot of the other pieces come around it, you get a much stronger game narratively, which like if we've seen anything over the last two decades is like alongside all the destiny likes and multiplayers, like there is still a large push for narrative based single player games as much as we want to act like there isn't there fucking is um and it's when you can tell that the writer is very high up on the totem pole of this thing or the writing team i should say i think the the rest of the game is very strong i still don't always think even the best stories in games always hold a candle to some mediocre stories in other mediums but yeah you know it's i i I think in this case uh the last of us too is a a good example of a game that yep. was written around its story and didn't have to have its story written around the game. You know, like Naughty Dog's uh, willingness to throw huge chunks of development out, which is something that's kind of only possible because of like how much money they get from Sony and whatever. Like, you know, it is it is not a luxury that most studios have to work for like, you know, seven years on a game. Um, but like... It doesn't, you know, even though The Last of Us 2 is, like, a very long game and probably overlong, it doesn't feel like there's a level that they threw in just because they made the level and then they were like, oh, we got to figure out how the story fits in here, which is uh, what I feel about a lot of kind of game stories is just like, why? We just needed another level. And so the story had to explain why there's another level. Can I ask a question? Yeah. This comes from uh, Blake Hester, long time, first time. You know, we're we're running a little short on this episode, so I'm going to pad the runtime. Jacob, in the last two decades of, we'll we'll limit it to AAA, whether it's AAA in 2001 or AAA in 2023, what are the best stories in games? We're we're doing this? I'm curious your thoughts. I feel like I don't know. And it can't be indie, because that's, that's, there's too many good stories there. Like, it has to be AAA. Yeah, God, that's... That is tough, and I, I almost feel like I uh, I haven't played a lot of the ones that is potentially... Sure. You know, it's, it seems like Baldur's Gate uh, 4 let's, might sorry, be let's say, like an answer. Let's say double A and triple A. Um, or, sorry, Baldur's Gate 3, right? Yep. Baldur's right, Gate Baldur's 4. Gate hey, well, Baldur's yeah. Gate 4, that story's going to be off the hook. You just wait. <laughs> yeah, um, you're writing it, right? <laughs> I, you know, and and then double A is hard because it's like, does Disco Elysium count as double A? Um, yes. Okay, well, yeah. Disco Elysium is the best video game story ever written, so that's uh, that's number one. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to think about like what my favorite AAA stories are, and and specifically ones that feel very um, feel very writerly. You know, I don't know. It's like I love Death Stranding, but like if we're specifically evaluating just how good that story is, not super high. Um, I like the story, but you know, as I, was, I think Kojima is a better idea man than actual writer, and that yeah. game has some truly terrible dialogue. Um, you know, it's like I, I really like. It's also it's it's just so hard because it's like, what do I like versus what do I think is like good? You know, it's like I love the story of Final Fantasy VII remake. 
I think that's, like, such an interesting story and whatever, but it still has, like, you know, if if you just had to sit down and, like, watch the movie version of that game, it would still be like, why is all this bullshit happening? I don't care yeah. about this, you know? Well, you can watch the movie version of the game Advent Children. It fucking rocks. No, oh, yeah, and you, you do love that. I do like that movie. Um, I think, as a longtime fan of the RGG Studio games... Um, I have been chasing a high I've never gotten from their work since Yakuza 0. It's a game I'm kind of scared to revisit in full because I'm like, have I just completely overblown this thing in my mind? But like, that is like one of the quickest stories I look to. It's like, that's one of my favorite stories in games. Mm -hmm. It's just like Yakuza 0 start to finish. And like some of the better, I think, cutscenes and the way they deliver that story is really incredible. Yeah, Uh, you know, obvious answer. Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, is pretty fucking good, pretty undeniable. Um, You know, I think it's, again, it's like begging the question of, like, what do we mean by story? Because I think Bloodborne is, like... Count it. Yeah, you know, but it's like, it, it is, that is a game where sure there is a lot of lore that you can find but that is entirely Mm. like a tone piece story that i like you know where it's like it's not like i could tell you here exactly the you know like no man the moments but i I, think totally counts like if we limit it to just like what has good cutscenes, it's a boring conversation you know what i'm saying uh i mentioned it earlier but the further we get away from it like killer seven like i love that game more and more every day do you even think about that game (laughs) Uh, I, it would certainly not be uh, anywhere near my top of uh, well, best stories of all time. That's because you didn't read the book, so you don't even know half the fucking story. Yeah, which uh, I would define as a failing of the game. Whatever, Mr. Smarty Pants. You read so many fucking books. Shut up. Yeah, and I, I'm not like, well, I, now obviously I understand this game is good because I read the book uh, of it. Uh, and uh, also the first game of next season, but not the second game of next season. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, you know, I think... I think uh, Wolfenstein, uh, the New Order, oh, the yeah. first Wolfenstein, is uh, both of them. I, yeah, I mean, I, I like them both together as a like one story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think playing them back to back, the the tone shift between one and two is like pretty marked, sure. and I, ultimately, I just like the first one's story better. But I do think, you know, in in general, I still think that uh, Wolfenstein 2 is, like, batting way above where most AAA stories get to. Is it a cliche to say near Automata? We're, look, we're dealing in cliches, baby. Yeah, I mean, like, Rockstar's knocked it out of the park several times. Like, Grand Theft Auto 4 has a great story. Um, Red Dead 2 also has a great story. Red Dead 2 has, like, so many moments I think about. Like, the, the whole uh, assault on that uh, plantation... I just think about so frequently the way they like frame a lot of the gameplay in that so they like you get to play the big story moments. Fucking seeing Dutch dragging that woman by the doorway at one point is like so fucking crazy. The whole walk up to it, um, the whole dying on that mountaintop and staring off and then they do the fucking epilogue and it's like your story didn't really need all this, but here we go. Um, I'm I'm an epilogue defender. That's crazy, man. Like it could have just ended right there with John Marston or what's Arthur Morgan dying. It would have been fine. Yeah, it could have. You didn't bring up Shadow of the Colossus, you little freak. Yeah, well, because I, this is, this is that like, you know, I don't know if we're just going for one Shadow of the Colossus almost feels uh you know like ps2 triple a is just such a different conversation 
I guess if mm-hmm. Killer Seven counts, then Shadow of the Colossus counts. You said Bloodborne. We counted Bloodborne. Bloodborne is more triple A, I think. Uh, we said double A and triple A. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I don't know because it's like is Outer Wilds fucking double A? You know, double A is no. an impossible to define uh, thing. You know, a game I think has a really cool story. People don't think about fucking uh, Res. You're right. I, I don't <laughs> think about that game story. Res has a wild story. Dude. I feel like you're just naming games you what? like. Yeah, that's the point of the question. It's like, what? look, I like, I like, I love Tetris Effect. I'm not going to be like Tetris Effect story number one. It doesn't have a story. Also, Tetris Effect is not fun. I don't like that game at all. Okay, this is this is going to replace games don't have good also, stories as also, your worst take. I'm not just naming games I like because I haven't said any of the Max Payne games yet. Yeah, like I'm not going to be like Max Payne three as much as I like that game has one of the greatest stories of all. In all of video games, Res has a cool story, dude. I, Res would it would not be on my top hundred uh, good game stories, but I respect I respect you putting it up there. Because you're not a true believer, dude. Res is unbelievable. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Question didn't go the way I hoped it would. I thought you were gonna be more interested in my question. Sorry, Blake. Thanks for writing. Look, I mean, if you want me, I I'll just I'll just name off my favorite games. Okay, name them off. Resident Evil Four. That's your favorite game of all time. I, I my my favorite game of all time Switch is honestly usually I say my favorite game of all time is the Beginner's Guide. Uh, Beginner's Guide, Resident Evil Four, um, uh, Bayonetta, Shadow of the Great Colossus. Story. <laughs> uh, you want me to keep going? Yes, I want you to keep going. Then I'll name mine. You you have your five like ready. I feel like we've we've done this before where you were keep- like. You could just rattle them off. Keep going. Uh, Silent Hill Two, okay. Beat Saber. Um, uh, I've lost count. We're I mean, say this Eco nine. and The Last Guardian are both up there. Probably all Uedas are in my my top ten. Okay. Um, you know, that those. Here's mine because mine's been changing a bit recently. Yeah. Oh, Outer Wilds Con- and Disco Elysium. Okay, now you're at like thirteen games. No, Chill that's out. pretty sure that's ten. No. Um, Tony Hawk's Underground, Resident Evil 4, Yakuza 0, Bayonetta. See, this is why we're friends. Look, there's two of the same. You ready for this one? Yeah. Killer 7. There you go. Um, one of the Max Paynes, but I'm not sure which one. Maybe I'm assuming number... two or three? Probably one or two. Okay. Um, near automata. Depending on the day, Death Stranding. But I'm gonna say I can only get to seven. I don't know. This is too hard. I can't wow. remember what games I've played. So much criticism. I mean, me. in a month when I'm finally settled, maybe a game from next season. But like, I just I'm I'm pumping the brakes. I don't want to say it too soon. But I think I respect that. I, I was truly sick in the head for that game, and still kind of am. You want to get to the last question? Yeah. Uh, Holden says, I'd be interested to see y'all's perspective on a game called Ready or Not. It's a tactical first-person shooter that's a successor to SWAT 4. It has politics that I'm not sure about, but it is absolutely the most rotten game I've ever played before. So this is a question for you, so you can get mad at me for not watching that YouTube video. Jacob, I'm sending you a small screen cap of my desktop right now, so you know that at the drop of a hat, I'm literally ready to play it. You see it up there in the top? I, I do see it. You see what it's right over? I didn't even 
Yeah, you got you got quite a desktop layout here. Uh, the, uh, friends, uh, ready or not is immediately over. Uh, dog hump puke gif. I think that might be the one Leo and me recut. Let me see, dog. Oh, it is the one we recut. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good uh, one. A few days ago, Blake told me it with <laughs> with the excitement of someone describing uh, winning a gold medal at the Olympics. Uh, how he and Leo Vader recut a gif of a dog humping another dog and then puking. So it worked better to music? That was the idea? <laughs> and it works to every single song. We drew... Also, hold on. Don't diminish his accomplishments. Serial Vasquez helped a lot on this. That's right. Uh, yeah, I feel like this, this picture tells an entire tale because you have a picture of Reagan, Resident Evil 4, the dog hump, puke. If, and then a game that is probably awful copaganda. It's really Blake slash something rotten in like a nutshell right there. I'm ready. I want to play this game so badly. I think it I think it's the most rotten game that we would play in good faith. Does that make sense? Because it's like Yeah, because it's not we're not gonna not play hatred, postal. It's not postal. Yeah. I think it is the most rotten game we could still get something. When did this out Okay, of. you've you've watched the uh the the video on this game who's who's mm -hmm. that by uh ready oh, or not it, or it's yeah. called like is ready or not copaganda give me one second to look it up vamp a little um but i think i i am I'm, I'm curious about this game because uh a youtube channel that we really like faceful of eyes did something on uh swat 4 uh yep. that was very interesting to hear them talk about um uh it's by the it's by the youtube channel gunmetal it's a very good video. I highly recommend it. Um, um, but what is I, what is this game? Like, so it, is it's, it... It, it's similar to SWAT 4. Like, it, effectively, it is a tactical multiplayer game. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a, a real focus on storytelling. A lot of it is just environmental storytelling. A lot of videos you see are people just, like, taking the time to explore the levels and piece together what is throughout a level to, like, be like, okay, this is who this is, you know? This right. is... Um, I think what is very interesting about the video I saw is, like, you can kind of watch footage of Ready or Not and be like, this is just a cop simulator, right? Mm -hmm. And what that video does is, and it's impossible to know without playing it, is how charitable the YouTube, the, the video maker is being towards the game, how much maybe they're reading too far into it. But they're like, you know, this game is using the facade of America's militarized police to kind of comment on it. And, you know, it's telling stories through gameplay and it's making criticisms through gameplay about the way um, militarized police actually handles a lot of cases in America. So it's like it makes it hard when thinking about playing this game is like how much legwork do we have to do or like, you know, charitable readings do we have to do to be like, OK, is this game actually doing something interesting? I don't know. But like I think there is the point being like I don't know if I'm kind of just rambling here, but like I think there is more to this game than like. Oh, it's a game where you and your friends play as cops. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it is doing something very interesting. It's just whether or not that interestingness is like, wow, this fucking sucks. Or like, wow, they made a really interesting piece of, um, I don't know, like criticism or something. Yeah, it, it's I, I am curious about it because I feel like the, uh, you know, there is a thing in a lot of criticism of cops or whatever, where like I could watch, you know, if you're just talking about like, uh, you know, you're you're watching like body cam footage. You know, I watch something and I'm like, 
Jesus Christ, look at this. Isn't this an indictment of how cops mm-hmm. function? And some, you know, Blue Lives Matter person could watch it and be like, yep, that's what cops do. You know, where it's like, right. it, it, it is, it feels almost impossible to not bring your own politics into it. Where it's mm-hmm. like, if this shows someone, you know, fucking kicking down a door and like flashbanging a child, I would be like, wow, what a criticism of cops. But someone who's like into cops would be like, their job is so tough. They just got to do this sometimes. And so I'm, yeah, I am curious at how I mean, much, you know, if if the game was just an accurate depiction of being a cop, I'm pretty sure I would play it and come away with this sucks shit. But I don't know if that's like, you know, if you give the game the credit for doing that, or if you just give it the credit of it is kind of a uh, painting an accurate picture and you can put your own politics yeah. onto it. And it's, I, there are definitely things I've seen of the game where I'm like, this is too fucking much. Like, you are trying to make something rotten and just, like, completely stepping outside the bounds of good taste. Um, and not in the way Postal or Hatred does, where that's the point. Like, it seems like there was an earnest attempt here, and they just bungled it. Yeah. But I think there's something more interesting going on with Ready or Not. A big issue is uh, actually playing it, because you and me are not uh, big tactical multiplayer people. We'd have to play this game together with other people, probably. Oh, it would God. just kind of be a nightmare. But Yeah, I, my, here's, here's my guess. The people still playing this multiplayer game... Not going to be interested in nuanced critiques of uh, well, the police state. I mean, like, I, I've talked to friends about playing this. Like, uh, I think Leo's interested in playing it. Like, we could get a trusty group okay. together. We could get a safe it. space. Yeah, like, I think uh, Jay. Do you know Jay Guisau? He's an intern, worked at Game Informer I, I, as a part-timer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really wants to play it. So it's like, we could we could play this game without just randos and actually have a better experience. But it is not a game you and I it's not a genre you and I typically gravitate towards, which is a whole different thing. But yeah, I'm interested in it. I'm glad people, someone wrote in about it because I think this game's getting pretty popular right now. And especially given the like the landscape we are in as Americans, I think a lot of people have kind of a magnifying glass to it to be like, does this suck or is there something interesting here? And it's been kind of fascinating for me to see like there might be something cool going on with this game but i don't know maybe maybe there isn't who knows uh it's made me think about uh unrecord which people wrote in about a few seasons ago which is that body cam game that that you know kind of looked real here's here is a uh is this rotten game for you battlefield hardline is battlefield hardline rotten or is it just stupid bro dog millionaire dude this is on our list is it yeah we've talked about doing a cop season <laughs> okay i've i yeah. forgotten oh no it's not okay okay yeah there we we've go. talked about doing it though i'm adding it to the list we have talked about doing it uh i yeah i would love to do battlefield hardline because i remember uh a lot of i i want to say maybe austin walker when that game came out, he had a review about it that was like, hey, everybody, pay the fuck attention to this shit. It's a bad game and it looks stupid, but, like, maybe we should pay attention to what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I know think, if I'm speaking for Austin, but, you know. What I, mean. I think that was actually a, a fairly early on, like, Austin review. Yeah, be, well, because it was for, it was for uh, Paste, so it was before, like, Waypoint even existed that I think... It was before he was at Giant Bomb, I think, so that's... Um, yeah you know and so it was yes i remember that review as being both like here is a really good engagement with a game and also like here's someone writing about games in a very interesting way and and you know the whole 
not the whole industry because uh, games writing still kind of sucks in a lot of ways, but like a lot of the more most interesting parts of the games writing industry have basically followed yeah. that path. We should do that game. It's rotten, and I think it's worth looking at. All right, cop uh, season. Uh, just just you wait, dear listeners. Yeah, what are other cop games that we could play? Fucking Virtual Cop. That would be that would be too good. We'd have too much fun. I love Virtual Cop. Yeah, uh, you got Battlefield Hardline. You got um. There's a game called like uh door breakers god what is that fucking game called i wrote a uh i wrote a review door kickers uh door kickers is a swat game i wrote a review of uh door kickers some other game uh for kane and rinse door kickers action squad one of the very few reviews that i've ever written that i was like this is a game where you play as cops um uh yeah so I don't know. There, there, there are plenty of cop games. We, could do, we could do Sleeping Dogs. Bro, I literally said that to you the other day. Yeah, and I don't want to do it because it's too long. Uh, isn't Disco Elysium a cop game? Yes. Disco Elysium is a V cop game. Here's the thing. Then we can end this season. But I'm going to say this right now. Okay? Okay. Jacob Glengeller, one of my dearest friends on Earth. Is it okay that I say your middle name on this show? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to make it any like easier for people to dox me. <laughs> Jacob Glengeller, who lives at... I don't know your address. Um, you extended such grace to me this season by finally playing The Last of Us Part Two for Something Rotten. I believe I was fully vindicated when it was easily, by a large margin, our best performing season of all time. Um, so I'm going to take the dub there, but I also appreciate you for, you know... My my eyebrows are sky high right now with expectations of what's coming up. But, you know, nevertheless, even though I was vindicated and I am correct, as always, about why we should have played this game, um, I appreciate you for being willing because you know we pick games we both want to play Mm -hmm. next year our recording schedule is going to be changing a little bit and i think it'll allow us a little more breathing room to work yep on the show without overworking here's what i'm gonna say i'm ready to play disco elysium boom 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 let's go yes sir yes sir i'm ready to do it i think when we have a little bit of a i think when we have more breathing room with the show it'll be easy to play a game like that because lord knows playing last of us part two the way we did was not sustainable no <laughs> but maybe early next year let's finally do it what if 2024 is just cop Dude, year cops are back we love them now <laughs> <laughs> it's not true i uh i went out to eat last night with uh my dad at uh this place in minneapolis right next to the the big waterfall uh can't remember the name of it, but it's like a fish stand. It's really good. Shouts out to them, friend of the show. I was wearing a drug church shirt that I was wearing yesterday when we recorded with Tails. And the back mm-hmm. of that shirt has Rouse a... spoilers for next has, season. <laughs> sorry. The back of that shirt has a, a drawing of a cop car on fire, and it says, the police are not your friends. And I meant to wear a flannel to cover it up because we were going to kind of a crowded area and just delighted normies might be there usually you're mostly okay to wear shit like that around downtown minneapolis because believe it or not we don't like cops in minneapolis well, but the minneapolis police department in specific is so good and helps the community so much right but you know i think wearing a shirt like that you kind of have to know your place you know yeah. what i'm saying i don't wear it frequently around kentucky and i was like i'm going to a pretty crowded area but i forgot the flannel and sure enough I was like going to get a cup of water and this lady came up to me and was not having it. And I was like, <laughs> she like was like accosting me. She was like, so cops aren't your friends, huh? And I was like, 
I'm just trying to get a cup of water, lady. Can you leave me alone? As walking back, she was like telling the guy working, she was like, he was being so rude to me. And I was like, what is he going to do? <laughs> How is his problem? Like, I like that she's like, cops aren't your friends. Also, uh, anyone who works at any business will turn into a cop for me. Yeah. I was like, lady, you're not my fucking friend either. I'm going to get a new shirt that says this lady fucking sucks on it. <laughs> like, Anyway, uh, 2024, you're the cop. We like it now. <laughs> can't wait to tell that lady <laughs> oh boy uh well that's been our question and answer episode on the last of us part two uh you know blake I, it, it, it was it was a good season and i am glad that i replayed this game uh so there you go there is there is the the vindication that i know you already knew but it's uh it's me saying that's it. right I, I see the numbers i knew i was correct i knew i was correct here's what we should do if we're being honest next year just do nothing but call of duty games uh would be the biggest fucking video game podcast in the world that was also a big season for us i don't know i uh, bullet points is doing that right now we can ask for their numbers i think i think there's probably limited or uh, diminishing returns yeah we should probably just do naughty dog games actually that's right if we just pivot to being a naughty dog pack podcast something anyway. rotten jack and daxter um i mean jack and daxter two and three yeah kind of all right that's it uh goodbye everyone we will see you in the next season bye